For the fourth episode of the Amalgam Podcast, I have Michael Deerland from Deerland Productions. Mike is a photographer and an aerial cinematographer. What that means is he pilots drone and he travels the world creating amazing content. We talk about his past projects and we talk about some of his future projects as well. I hope you enjoy the episode and please follow Mike at Deerland Productions and DP Drones. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. This is episode four. I've got Michael Deerland with me. He's a videographer. Most importantly, he's an aerial cinematographer. What's up, Mike? How you doing, man? Oh, doing real good. Yeah, it's good thanks to for, hear your voice. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. We're Mike's in. You're in Bellingham right now, right? Or are you in Seattle right now? Currently in Bellingham right now, taking it back to the roots where we, you know, where we started. Where we started. Yes. <laughs> Oh man, oh, yeah. So I'm in Spokane, and we're we're recording via FaceTime audio for everybody. Um, hope it sounds good. I wanted to have Mike on the show because he has an Instagram page called DP Drones, and um, it's some. I I just I think with all the drone photography and stuff coming out, I think it's one of the coolest things that has been brought to the consumer level equipment and. Mike's got some amazing stuff. Everybody should check it out. And you, um, can you tell us some of the other things you do along the lines with aerial cinematography? Yeah, definitely. Aerial, like cinematography, some people call it drones, whatever you want to call that. But it's been a pretty interesting couple of years because just, I would say, even four years ago, drones were kind of like this new wave of not only technology but at least for like photo and video is like this new tool and for me at least it's a different way of thinking about creating a shot uh for instance like i would always have a a camera on a tripod and the tripod was on the ground you would you would move the the tripod up and down but you really couldn't you're kind of limited and now able to think way outside the box to where I can I can move that camera in 3D space anywhere I want to create an image that really hasn't been done before and that's exactly what I love about drone photography and is the somebody was taking a shot I was just scrolling through Instagram and somebody was taking a shot of fireworks exploding right around it which it's kind of like it's dangerous for the drone I'm sure but that perspective we've all been watching fireworks for ever from the ground now, level. Yeah, from yeah. the ground or maybe up on a building. or But now you're literally inside the fireworks, and it's it's insane. And, and the things that you do, um, you do a lot of PNW stuff. But uh, when it comes to those projects, how do those projects come about? And, and I'm sure some of it started with you personally wanted to get into it, but what can you talk about some of the stuff you've done specifically with the aerial stuff? It kind of started just like my photography started where I saw this drone and I I picked it up as a tool wanting to just like create really cool content. And I kind of just referred to my photography because I I just started creating cool content and then uh, just used social media and the web to kind of broadcast these images that I was creating. And I really started getting people that, you know, had an interest in in what I was doing and 
and when I I saw that interest, I just like kept pursuing that, you know, like I and it started just as you know, like shooting photos and like shooting individual clips. And at first, I was just like posting individual photos of dr- you know the like, drone photos I would get or individual uh, video clips just online, and and like people were were pretty stoked on it. And then. For sure. And then projects started kind of being like incorporating drone a bit more where I've seen like your drone work. Like, is that, is that something you could do? And, and so I get, I kind of saw that as a kind of a business per- potential in a way. Yeah. Untapped market almost. It, it's just kind of mind blowing to me really how fast it has come because just like taking it back to 2007 when I started, I, I just started as a photographer. And then I and then I slowly went to video, and now drone is like fifty percent of what I do. And oh wow, that much! That's it's been pretty awesome. For instance, uh, back actually, I guess a year ago, we had this idea for a video called "The Ridge of Dreams," and and it's a it's a ski film that's still kind of in, in the works right now, but just kind of a kind of a perspective on on the whole thing we were able to shoot this trailer for a ski film in four days and that just like having an idea in your head and being able to create that with, with the drone and like putting a camera in, in perspective and being able to capture all this content. Long story short, we put this trailer together and we were able to pitch this idea to a pretty large company and, and get full funding to, to like make this dream a reality Fast wow. forward to from December of last year till May, I end up being the drone cinematographer on this project, shooting for for Yeti coolers up in awesome. Haynes, Alaska, for six weeks. It was probably one of the most incredible times of my life. We we were literally like living on a glacier. On man, it was it was so amazing That's how a- like just how drone cinematography just took me to you know a glacier like you know, I had never envisioned myself yeah. kind of going there yeah and yeah and then planning to go and live in that environment and and camp out and be and capture everything there that's that's awesome you just got back from Vietnam right a few weeks ago yeah so I actually was pretty excited about well I was, I was excited about going to Vietnam but I actually was wanting to bring my drone to Vietnam. One thing I, I guess I didn't realize at the time was Vietnam has very different laws and rules than, than we do here. And, and like right before I went to Vietnam, I was talking to a guy who just got back and he's like, oh man, I, I would not bring my drone over there. Like they were confiscating drones at the airport. And I, I was a little sad to not bring the drone over there to Vietnam, but... Still a trip to Vietnam and, and the stuff you captured there was still amazing definitely yeah and I, w- I would definitely go back but yeah uh vietnam is was a little interesting when it comes to drones i actually learned that a guy over there was flying a drone and got caught and he got kicked out of vietnam for five years so like the, yeah you don't want that it's, it's pretty severe <laughs> i wanted to back up a little bit in and ask about the the projects that you get when it when it comes to traveling can you talk about how those started for you and what's the process like? Cause it seems like a lot, it uh-huh. seems like a lot of stuff to plan, a lot of equipment to, to consider. 
And when you're traveling internationally, there's a wealth of stuff to deal with there. And so Definitely. can you talk a little bit about that? I would say there, there's kind of two things. There's when I, when I first started traveling, I didn't have as much gear compared to now where it's like traveling with a lot more equipment just because the tools that you bring along are just going to increase the production value quite a bit. Travel is something that's very exciting, but at the same time, sometimes overwhelming to where it makes you consider if you want to do that like full time, like, you uh-huh. know, musicians like, you know, Odessa, let's say they're traveling. I don't even know the last time they were home. And, uh, and so, you know, traveling, it seems like a bit excessive in, in that regard, but realistically traveling for me started when I started shooting more weddings and I got couples that would hit me up and they'd be like, Hey, like we'd love to, you know, have you as our photographer. Would you mind traveling to here or there to, to capture something? And at that point, you know, early on, I was, I was really excited to have the opportunity to, you know, go to these places. And, and I'm, I'm definitely still very excited to, to go to these places, but it's always kind of mind blowing to me that these images that I'm able to create, put me in some really amazing spots. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I think everyone can get a little homesick. For instance, I was working on this feature film right before I left for Vietnam, like literally like two days before I left for Vietnam, I was, on this feature film for, uh, I think it was 16 days, and I was I was doing all the drone work for the feature film, but uh, not every single day I was flying drones. So there'd be just some down days and some, you know, some days where like you were just shooting drone all day, but there's also some days where you're just sitting around waiting for the weather to uh, you know come through. So uh, there's kind of this thing in especially in video production called hurry up and wait. <laughs> so it's like you're, you're always, you know, you're always hurrying to, to capture that light or, or, or capture, you know, these, these different things, but sometimes you just have to wait and you literally have to sit there and wait for either the, the storm to roll through, or sometimes you have to wait for the talent. You have, you know, there's all these different factors that you kind of have to wait for, but um, a huge, a huge production. Totally. But I guess I, I was, went off a little topic, but, uh, That's okay. as far as like the equipment, the, the equipment has kind of built up more and more and it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I pretty much always bring a camera with me wh- wherever I go, because even if I'm not working or like not being paid to, to go somewhere more times than not, the photos that I take on a trip have paid off down the road like it's, it's almost like this invest like long-term in investment that gives you full creative freedom in that moment when totally. you're doing that no one's telling you what to do it's your eye it's your it, everything's up to you and there's a that's relaxing you know as the artist you're relaxed in that environment so for sure that's that's gonna be you, you know you don't want to give up any opportunity to capture something like that and so yeah definitely it's like the most i would say it's like the the purest or rawest form of like creativity is like and some of the most magical moments have happened not only at that time but the sun just like breaks through the clouds and and you know you only have like two minutes to capture the shot one of the projects on your website is the hazmat surfing hazmat surfing kind of came at an interesting time how the idea actually happened was so I was shooting 
this this wedding before the wedding even happened i flew down to meet the couple and and so i was taking this, these engagement photos for, for him and you know, just living up in bellingham at the time i think we can all say that the waves and like the ocean isn't very it's pretty calm up here and so i every time i go somewhere that has waves or surf i re, i always want to try to go surfing it was like the day after the the photo shoot and i really wanted to go surfing and and what had happened is it rained the like that night rain to to us in washington is like no big deal but what i quickly learned is when it rains in los angeles they like they shut down the beaches and 10 billion gallons of sewage and just like contaminated water goes into santa monica bay alone it never even hit me to even think about how much contamination just like goes into the ocean and and so oh, that's yeah. kind of what really really sparked hazmat surfing and just the fact that it's like all right so we can't go surfing so you know how can we go surfing well you know people might in the future have to wear hazmat suits to still enjoy the things that we we want to do i didn't i didn't shoot hazmat surfing right away it was, it was probably like six months later that I just like was kind of developing this idea. And, uh, after talking with, with some people, you know, I had, I had all these ideas in my head and, and I guess as a creative person, I, and the hardest thing for me is to take ideas from my head and make them visual for people to see and understand the way I, I see and imagined like, it. Exactly. Yeah, the execution. I always call that the execution of it. Like I can, I can see it in my head. I have the idea. I know what I want. But uh -huh. Executing it and in, in translating that, communicating it properly, that's the that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And so I, I spent some time to really develop this idea that I had. And, and uh, it, was, it was interesting. Like, it was one of the first times that I had some like mentorship on, a, on an idea this big and, and i felt this idea was like kind of game changer and and uh and so i i really developed it from the ground up i i i wanted to have the photo shoot down in los angeles which was a lot more work and expensive than it was to just like shoot the the you know hazmat surfing up here and i i wanted right. to have that like infamous lifeguard tower in the background that everyone kind of knows as like, you know, like California beaches. And I kind of wanted that California beach look and, and, uh, and it, it was an interesting time and process because I really wanted to do this for myself and like, and to push this idea out there. But at the same time, you know, I was, I was still pretty young. I didn't have a bunch of money. And so like financing the whole project came out of my own pocket. And so I, I did spend some time looking for, you know, for some help, seeing if people wanted to jump on board to, to help either finance or like be a part of it. And that was, it was like, the idea was so far out there that, you know, a lot of people or companies were like a little hesitant to jump on board, but yeah. Um, one company that actually really helped me out was I got in contact with the Surfrider Foundation and uh, they actually helped. So I also had to get just a ton of permits just to shoot the photos down there. 
and I had to get permits through the city of Los Angeles and the county of, of, oh, man. of LA and, and like all this stuff. So, uh, linking up with the Surfrider Foundation was the best thing for me because uh, we submitted to, to waive all these these like $1,500 worth of fees. Uh, I I worked with the Surfrider Foundation and they submitted their um, their nonprofit license to like which waived all these these fees, oh, which okay, was awesome. Yeah. So that that like really helped uh, <laughs> like bite the bill for, for at least like overhead expenses. And, and that was like hazmat surfing was definitely the most work that I had ever put in, in my entire life because not only was, was I doing this, but, but at the time, like photography and video was, was still like an expensive hobby for me. And, and I had yeah. a, I still had like a nine to five job. I was a studio photographer taking photos nine to five, but I also was like coordinating with, with all these people down there with the Surfrider Foundation, trying to lock down these permits. I had to hire a, a since people were going to be in the water, I had to hire a lifeguard, just like all these things I had never even considered just to put on this photo shoot just started racking up. And so, uh, and so it really took me a long time to like even get to the point to even shoot the photos. I, I've been to LA a couple of times and, and had met some, some really good friends down there and connections. And I ended up reaching out to like 50 people down in LA to like be part of this and, and help me out. Cause I was like a one man band. I was just like doing everything by myself and you know, organized to get to, to all this stuff. So I asked like 50 people to come out, not expecting all 50 to come out, like 10 people end up coming out, which was great Nice because you know, I, That's I had like six people in the water and I had a couple people behind the camera. Uh, I met this guy, Mike Marshall, who helped me out quite a bit and he brought out his underwater rig and, and he helped me kind of get those underwater shots that, you know, I, I had the, the vision for, but I just didn't have the tool to you know, put the camera underwater. So a lot of, so that was a huge, huge project from start to finish where you were, you were really helming everything. Oh, definitely yeah. full, like full steam ahead. And like, it, it was also interesting, actually, the day of the shoot, I only had a permit to shoot for four hours on the beach. And so I got there like two hours early and the sun hadn't come up yet. Ended up, it was it was cheaper to shoot in Venice Beach. And uh didn't know the beaches well enough to actually know where I wanted to shoot, but I knew I wanted like a lifeguard station. And, and I actually used Google Maps to like look at the, you know, where the lifeguard, the craziest thing was actually, I, I was right next to the, the Venice beach boardwalk. Like if you're looking at the ocean, the boardwalk is on my right. And at the beginning of the boardwalk, there's this big gate and in the morning that gate is closed. So no one goes out there at night and, and whatnot. So there's, right. when I got there in the morning, there was actually a, a line of, of homeless people lined up at this gate. I was like, I was like scratching my head. I'm like, Oh, that's crazy. Well, they're, they all had fishing poles and like they were there to like when the gate opened, they were there to, to go like catch their food for the day. And as I'm shooting this, this project called hazmat surfing where 10 billion gallons of wastewater goes into the ocean and they're catching fish like right out there. And then one thing that, that really helped me kind of, take that project and make it viral it was good timing and bad timing the 
the the bad thing is it was a little rushed where I only had two weeks to edit all the photos and like put it out there. But the good thing is I had this opportunity to get on. I didn't really realize how a press release worked, but I got on to this need for the month and I was able to put my hazmat surfing like proposal and concept together in a press release form with, I had this like article that I had written up and, and included all these photos. And then once the press release went out, I really didn't know like what was going to happen. And literally within like three days, my inbox on my email, just like, I think it literally just blew up. That's awesome. I, you know, I was still doing the nine to five. And so, you know, I'd, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd check my email and I w- would literally have like 40 emails in my inbox from, and it started, it started small and like grew like wildfire. And, uh, it started with a couple blogs and websites picking up the photos and then like huffing. Then I got this, it was, it was crazy too. Cause I, I knew where I wanted the photos on the web. Like I knew I wanted to reach some like bigger, uh, like news agencies and whatnot, but it was, it was the craziest thing because, you know, I, I wanted to get onto Huffington Post, but one day I just literally got an email from Huffington Post wanting to put my photos <laughs> on their website. That's so, so cool. Like, it, it was, it was just crazy how, what I was envisioning was happening and, and really like the biggest thing, and, you know, I, I probably spent like, close to like $2,000 of my own money with like airfare and, and travel. Not including and, equipment, right, though. Exactly. So just like I, I felt I, I spent a lot of money in overhead. And I was totally cool with, with spending that money and just like letting it go and being able to like turn this whole thing into a creative process. What really... So did, is that where the, a, a lot of the traveling started? Was that kind of what kicked off a lot of that? Or were you already doing that before the hazmat stuff or before that project? Yeah, I, I wasn't like traveling as much. And traveling at, at the, in the beginning was, was just for pleasure. And I, I kind of just learned over time that traveling could be paid for and, and financed through you know taking photos and videos. Sometimes like Vietnam, you know, it's not... It, it's not paid for before you go. Sometimes you have to kind of, you know, take these photos and hope. You know, sometimes it's just all about like chance and like maybe I'll get a shot or two that I can sell a photo or a video shot. But for me, uh, trying to develop call to actions and call to actions to me are, are kind of important. They're like the end of a book. Like you read the end of a book and, and like it just like, it's like a cliffhanger and there's like, like nothing happens you're just like well, well like what's next after hazmat surfing I've, I've really thought about creating call to actions in in everything that i do and trying to let someone see let's say for instance these, these photos hazmat surfing and then and then being able to actually implement uh something that would help create better phone quality or, or whatever it may be but you want to make that a part of Definitely. as many projects as you can uh-huh. moving forward. That's great. So almost, I mean, I've had some projects. Um, one of my favorite projects was we had to create a public service announcement. And mm-hmm. um, and that's not necessarily what you're doing, but it's you're, 
you're generating awareness. You're it's it's a similar concept and definitely um and that and I always I really liked that because you're also doing it. The coolest part about it was like whoever makes that, they're doing it on their own. It's almost they're they're volunteering their time and energy to create that for you because they have a message they want to get across and more often than not that's a pretty noble message and um they want people to hear where have you traveled can we have a yeah for sure so i I would say that traveling locally at first like you know first starting out and this might not be in order but definitely started in washington you know starting really small actually bringing it back uh when i first started taking photos i i wanted to just learn more about you know bellingham and the town that we grew up in and, and so i tried to I actually did a, a 365 project where I take a photo every day and that nice. kind of led, led me to parts around town that I really never even like, discovered or even knew about. Photography and video made me kind of be more aware of my surroundings really. You just look starting locally and then kind of expanding out. So you know, starting in Bellingham and then you know, went down to, to Seattle and just wanted to, to know more about Seattle and then moved to, you know, to a broader Eastern Washington. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been drawn to the Washington coast. And so I kind of just like slowly tried to expand my horizons. And uh, so, so it went from kind of exploring California a bit more. Yeah. West coast, West coast for sure. And then, um, and then kind of Idaho and Montana. I, I love going over to beautiful areas, Glacier yeah. National Park, Yellowstone. I kind of right. fell in love with, with Jackson Hole, Wyoming as well. And cool. so it, it kind of like started in Washington, started expanding out down the West Coast, going going east as well. Canada has always been hard to like do work in. And so I, I really haven't done too much work in Canada. But interesting. Uh, I, I've done a little bit of work in Hawaii and a little bit of work in, in Mexico. You know, I I actually haven't been to Europe. You mentioned Eastern Washington. Have you been around my area much shooting like in the Palouse or, or around Spokane? Totally. So Spokane is pretty awesome. I've driven by there. Uh, I have a, a friend who, who has a kind of a lake house up kind of like north towards the border a little bit. And yeah, always, like Newman Lake or Liberty Lake. I think it Loon Lake or, or Oh yeah, there's that one as well. So uh somewhere right up in there, but um yeah, Eastern Washington has always how I how I always see it is like the Pacific Northwest has a lot of like green and blue colors in it and it's always like really saturated colors. And then you go to Eastern Washington and it's like the color palette over there is like completely different. It's actually at first, like when I first started taking photos in other places, I was actually really struggling just with the color because I was always used to like saturated greens and, and, you know, really vibrant colors just because of the water and and the, you know, how much vegetation is just, it gets to go. I mean, that for me, going back to the west side, it was something, once I moved over here and stayed over here, and then I would go visit back to Bellingham, you really noticed that 
it feels overgrown you know what i mean uh-huh. like every it feels totally. like it's like it's almost out of control but it's not it's just it is it's, it's super dry over here um, yeah and and, that- and you once you hit that central washington and it turns into you know deserts essentially and it's just that hilly grassy landscape and it's just rocky and uh, yeah, it's a completely different color, and and I I also love it just how different it it is. And you know, the Columbia River Gorge is amazing, and I have mm-hmm. friends over in Walla Walla, and you know, the rolling hills over there, and the wine, and you know, all the way up to to Spokane, where you know, some more trees, but yeah, Eastern Washington is, is awesome, and I I also love driving over to Eastern Washington over Highway Twenty. That's probably like one of the most beautiful drives that, that I've ever that's cool and what about uh north Idaho around Coeur d'Alene or like or even in in Idaho southern Idaho like Boise area that's some that's some pretty stuff too if you drive along the river uh-huh. and you just go down it's amazing and it's it's interesting too because uh I I also love the mountains and I love snowboarding and a lot of what I have done for you know photo video drone has actually turned into a lot of uh, work in the wintertime. And so um, I've actually spent a lot of time not only traveling in the summertime, but also traveling in the wintertime. And I shot a uh, video series for outdoor research. And we it was the, the tiny house series. And we were going around to all these different ski resorts to, uh, you know, northern Idaho, Montana, like Bridger Bowl. We'd go over to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We That's even, awesome. even went down to, uh, like, White Pass and kind of all over Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, and then kind of lower Washington as well. But it's also pretty interesting to see the same place in the summertime and then the, the differences in, you know, in the wintertime. And I just love seeing fresh snow on, on mountaintops and, and especially with the drone now being able to take the drone up and like almost be able to get those, uh, those mountaintop perspectives are, are pretty amazing. And now with a the drone, there's, you know, things like, you know, icing on the blades and, and like keeping the battery oh, wow. firm and, and not having the drone fall out of the out of the sky because of you know it's too cold or something, and right. so it's interesting to uh, to like there's all these new factors that have come come, come into play with with the drone, especially up in Alaska. When when I was up there, it was you know it was, it was pretty interesting to like, deal with a whole set of uh, of new I guess just things you had to worry about. When it comes to the drone, what is, let's say, let's walk me through what it's like if you're going to take that thing out on, on a site and you got a project. Let's say it's like a, uh, just like an architecture building or somebody, an architect wants you to shoot their building. What do you, what do you got to consider? I would say the two biggest things you have to consider is where you're flying in. When you, when you take off, you're in like, federal aviation airspace and so you have to consider where you're at where your actual location is you know sometimes like a client will be like oh yeah like can you come out and take a photo of my house be like okay yeah sure but then you don't realize the house is next door to an airport <laughs> so oh, you know, okay. uh, 
finding out like where that location is, is is definitely pretty important. The other thing is is the weather. I learned pretty early on that flying in the rain is just terrible. Like you get you get water on the lens, uh, the rain is gonna it's just not happening, get inside the it? drone. It definitely not happen at all. So I've I've really been a lot more conscious of of the weather as well. But you know, like when when a client hits me up, let's say to, to shoot a house and or you know architecture. I, I'm thinking about how many batteries, you know, how, how long the shoot is going to last. If it's, you know, one hour or, you know, all day kind of thing, how many batteries I need to take, if I need to recharge batteries, every, every drone shoot has been a little bit different. And, uh, I've actually wanted to do this for a while and, and put a Fitbit on my, on my wrist because okay. my, my adrenaline go like my heart rate just increases quite a bit. Yeah when when i fly a drone in any situation just because there's so much more risk and liability putting you know something with with lawnmower blades pretty much like in the air and having it spinning around capturing this footage but but you know knowing that this thing could fall out of the the sky at any point or or hit a you know a bird could fly into it or you know there's a lot of different factors that that kind of go on so uh kind of understanding your your surroundings and kind of spending more time at least like when you're when you're on the site kind of establishing you know where where are power lines and where are the trees that are going to be obstacles that i might have to avoid and yeah you know and and it's one thing too if it's it's if it's photos like because with photos you can just like put the drone in a spot in the air and take a photo but if the client wants video you also have to think about you know smoothly flying that thing while it's very recording exactly very smoothly and, and i think that's the biggest thing that people don't consider is you know the drone is going to start at ground level and it's going to go up to 50 feet uh, you know to see the top of the from like the ground level to the top of the roof well are you going to tilt the camera very slowly as you rise up or you know, right. are you going to go left to right as you rise up or are you just going to go straight up and and, and it's know, not something you just want to let them like see and then be like okay try this now okay try this now okay try this now oh totally and everything has to be thought out beforehand especially you know what the client doesn't realize is you know a a battery can last like 20 minutes but that 20 minutes goes actually goes pretty fast because you know once you're in the air you're you're getting these shots and the client's like oh like what about this over here and it's like we can do that but we only have five minutes left or I guess I guess just the battery life alone is is kind of interesting and plays a really big role in in flying the drone. How far you can like the limit the limitations on like you know if you're trying to like rise up over a mountain, if that's going to take you five minutes just to like get the drone in position and like you have enough battery life just to get it there, just to then get the shot and then have it come back. What will happen if it notices? Like, is there automatic? processes like certain certain battery level and it just forces return to you or something like that or yeah totally so like there's there's a couple different factors like if it's getting low on battery life it pretty much has like a countdown to zero and it realistically knows how far away it is from where it took off from but at the same time one thing that you really have to consider and just be good about being a drone pilot is Let's say it took you five minutes. Let's say it just took you five minutes to get to this spot, 
And so you're thinking, okay, it's going to take me five minutes to go there, five minutes to go back. But now the wind has picked up and now the wind is now blowing 40 miles an hour. And that five minutes is going to take a lot more energy to come back in a headwind than it, yeah. than it was to fly there. And so when, when drones actually first came out, I, I actually had to land the drone like a quarter mile away from me because oh dang the wind had actually it was the wind was pushing it farther than it could actually come back scary scary, scary experiences times. where I was my like, investment and then you know when it when it turns off you either have like just enough battery life to like go and find it. it'll still like have a gps signal you could like trace it back to or Oh dang! Or you have to like kind of see what the screen is seeing, like visualize what's around you and like where you're actually landing. If if the power does get cut and you're not able to see, you know, the last. So then you have to turn into a hunter tracker type thing. Totally, and like you know, you know, and hopefully, you know, when you're flying drone, you you know where it is at all times in the air, and you're able to have a really good idea of, you know, where it is from you and distance and and all that and. uh and but you know, in the beginning, there just weren't those safety procedures that there are now. But yeah, like one thing, if the if the drone gets too far away, it will it will tell you you need to return to home now. You know, with the, having enough battery life. If you uh, sometimes like if you get on the other side of a building and the building is like full of cement or metal. You, you could lose signal really easily, and and so you have to consider if it if the signal drops out what the drone is going to do usually it it goes into a return to home feature where it goes straight up in the air to a desired height that you set it to and then it comes straight back to you which is great um but yeah it's it's interesting a lot to consider man i mean it's it's just it's not just go out spend a few hundred bucks and then now you can do all this stuff there's a there seems like there's a hundred different little things to plan totally and you know and, and I could totally be like a drone hobbyist and just go out for fun and fly around. But, you know, I, I, I really You've got a specific thing you're trying to capture for sure. And that, and, and even like I, I was shooting for the city of Seattle this past summer and, and I had to buy not only a liability policy, but an aerial liability policy specifically for drone. And so, you know, I had to spend a thousand dollars just on aerial insurance for a $2 million aerial liability policy. And so it's like... In you case know, you damage something? Yeah, just in case, like, you know, the drone has a, a malfunction and let's say crashes into a car and damages right, the car Right, causes an accident or something. Okay, got it, yeah. That makes sense, I mean, but still... Yeah, it's always it's always a bit a bit hairy, for sure. <laughs> the I mean, I've, I follow other photographers and stuff like that, and I always admire photographers and videographers because you guys have to know the gear i mean musicians they have to know their own gear and things like that in a different realm but totally um photo and video stuff i mean you watch you guys pack everything around and you watch you guys plan everything and then you learn your processes like scouting and then shooting and then yeah it's really yeah i'm really thankful that we're, we're given this chance to live in in the time that we live in now where especially like with drones, especially um, it's just like created this whole new kind of way of thinking really. And, and where I not only want to take it to like the highest 
cinematography level that I can and, and just like shoot the most beautiful, amazing things with that. But I also see a drone being so much more than just a, a filming tool. And I've been trying to, I haven't quite developed the idea yet, but I've been trying to uh, think about drones and other applications and and as far as like, you know, uh, growing food and, and and from 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 farms and agriculture to oh, that's you know, being awesome. able to in, inspect things. And what I'm working on right now, you know, like I said before, I, I love the mountains and I've also seen from the news people die die in the mountains and I've seen people get hurt right. in the mountains and maybe not so much even the mountains, but just in remote locations. And right. uh, what I'm trying to do right now, just just for instance, uh, three people have died up in Mount Baker this this year, and just having a drone as a skill set and being able to fly like a, as a pilot, I'm trying to develop a a drone that has thermal imaging camera on it, so that oh what if, if people are you know stuck out in the in the wilderness that. A remote, yeah, you can. It's another way of detecting them. That's that's awesome. Some kind of it's like it's like a helicopter. It's like um, you could either send a helicopter out and like go search for people, let's say, but at the same time, you know, let's use this this new resource and these new tools and send out an unmanned, an unmanned aircraft. Doesn't use jet fuel. That doesn't have yeah. it doesn't risk or more other. than one you know send a net of them out there instead of one pilot and one helicopter you know you got three or four people who are canvassing totally because you know? right now they're just you know the only viable option is to send people you know search and rescue people out into the environment where when... they got binoculars and possibly some other sensors on the yeah, helicopter like, but uh, i actually got really inspired on this trip up to Alaska, I went up to Fairbanks to, to go shoot. And I just happened to sit next to this guy who happened to fly drone who who does fly drones, but his job is to count how many polar bears are in the Arctic circle. And how he does that is he has this like kind of grid pattern that he flies and he has this drone that has a thermal cam on it. And he, all he's looking for is a one degree temperature difference. And that one degree temperature difference will signify that there's a polar bear under the ice. And that like, that's their air, their air hole, their, their blow hole that they're like breathing in and out of. And like this little change in in temperature is like signifies that there's kind of life under the snow. That's pretty crazy. Kind of just gave me this idea that, man, I'd really love to provide, you know, a service to search and rescue to be, kind of like on call in a way to where, you know, if someone goes missing, you know, like let's send a drone out, let's, let's run a grid pattern and let's, you know, let's try and see if we can even see them or like if there's signs of life, if they're moving or not. And, you know, maybe that drone can drop a, a care package. They can drop food or a emergency blanket to them. I, I want, I always want to do more in life. And, and that's like one thing I'm trying to do. And, and uh that's awesome that's a great project to work towards you know hazmat surfing was was huge for me and i'm trying to you know to to do another big project like that called hazmat fishing and that's hopefully going to be shot this summer if i can get everything dialed and oh wow and then i have one more kind of bigger project which also actually 
uh, has come from seeing climate change and seeing the seeing at least the mountains and the the snow being impacted. There's a a project I'm, I've been working on and created called Old Man Winter, <laughs> and I really haven't nice. uh, like put it out publicly yet. But Old Man Winter is like he's like Santa Claus and and. It, like if you believe in Santa Claus, he will come. And it's like if you believe in Old Man Winter, he will, he will bring the snow to the mountains. And if you believe in him, he will like kind of refresh the mountains with with the, the essential snow that we need and the snowpack that we need for, you know, to you know even to foster the when it comes time for the summer. Like I mean, we exactly. noticed that in Spokane here. I mean, last year it wasn't that bad, but. It was dry. I mean, the state has been on fire for what feels like two summers in a row. Totally. That's, that feels kind of, you know, not normal in a way. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So are you man, saying with old man winter, like if you believe, if you believe in yourself and changing how you live your life so that your impact is less, or is it if you believe in just, can you expand on that a little bit? Totally. So I would, I would say the best way to describe it, Obviously, like we know now that we're, we've grown up that Santa Claus like isn't real, but the the people who believe Santa Claus is real are are the kids, and and so these are like the stories that are passed down that we tell tell our kids about Santa Claus, and and the kids really believe it, you know, like they 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 can't wait for Santa Claus and and all that. So, Old Man Winter, in a way, is like if you if you believe in Old Man Winter. He will, he will bring the snow to the mountains and you know it's not only just for you know for little kids to believe in old man winter but more of a more of like a bigger picture like if we believe in in winter yeah. then we can and if and then if we also see you know the climate you know heating up and whatnot maybe we can we can like take these steps to either maybe not bring back winter but kind of take start to reverse the course a little bit exactly and, and so like old man winter he hiber he's like a he's like a bear but he instead of hibernating in the winter time he actually hibernates in the summertime and then wakes up at the first time of winter and there's all these experiences in my life that have kind of brought it to where the story's at now that i'm that i'm writing and right now it's like in script form to be turned into this video that i'm gonna shoot oh that's for it. awesome so what do they would they call that? Are you writing technically a screenplay then, or what would you call that in like technical jargon? Yeah, it would probably be called a script. But but I I've also been since I you know I came up with the idea. I I have all the like how all the shots are going to happen in my mind, and so I've also been writing out kind of like a a technical like camera shot list as well that goes oh, cool. like parallel with the script and the story so like there's the story and then like on the right side and then on the left side there's kind of like a shot list so it's like a it's like a combo it's like a shot list and a, a script kind of all in one that i'm i'm writing out and it's kind of a, it's a shorter story right now it's awesome that's great well i'm excited to see you develop these projects for sure if you're ready we could hop into some resources and then i could let you go because it's it's getting a little late, but <laughs> totally. Um, do yeah. you have something you want to share? Yeah. So I guess you know resources for me. A lot of people don't know what they want to do in life, and that I think that's totally okay. I think just you know starting with something 
whether it sparked your interest in, in like trying it out or, or going with it. And sometimes you don't really know how to do things along the way, but at least for me and, and photography starting out, um, let's just take like, let's say uh, home architecture for, in, for instance, like I didn't know anything about taking photos and then home architecture, you need a wide angle lens. You need lighting if you want these different looks and how do you create these looks? Well, so I, I started to dive into YouTube a lot and the internet is just a, an amazing wealth of knowledge and not everything is like true and all that, but I think right. the internet... But when it comes to like somebody's like, hey, I solved this problem this way, you know, totally. it's either, that either is real or it's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, and, go like, ahead, sorry. You know, how to, how to light a subject with, you know, three lights, you know, you, you could go out and like, learn from a lighting expert or you could do a lot of research and like study these different lighting techniques. So I was, I was studying the techniques that I wanted to, that I wanted to implement into my photography, into my video, like, you know, shooting the, shooting the Northern lights at night, you know, is way different than shooting, uh, you know, when it's sunny out kind of thing. So, you know, just using the internet, as, as a really good piece of, of knowledge to, to pull from. And, and tutorials. I think the other, uh, yeah, tutorials and, you know, learning from other people. And then I think the other, the other biggest thing is jumping off and, and just like really just going full steam ahead with what you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about it, I think uh, you can do some really great things in life. And to kind of reinforce that trend of like, you know, we were talking about it before we kicked this off. Like we were a lot, our generation was college was the route, you know, totally. we've all, and you were thirties. We're in our thirties. Now we just started. And if you look back, it might not have been the route for the majority of us. You uh-huh. know, I certainly struggled finding out what direction to actually take a stake in. And, um, and the stuff I was interested in, I figured, like you said, you you Google your issues on the internet or your yeah. problems with the software or I don't know how to start something or do this or has anybody else experienced this? And you just get comfortable doing that and not afraid uh-huh. of like, oh, I'm going to mess something up, you know? Like, no, you're totally. not. You can just undo it and just dive in, figure it out. It's There's so many people have spent so much time putting together way super nice videos to teach you how to do anything like I started doing work on my own car because I never it was never hands-on like that when it came to being a mechanic I just didn't understand cars never was really taught how cars work and with YouTube it's like I can change my own brakes yeah I started changing my own my own oil and those are really simple things but for somebody like me who had no experience at all you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. Like I feel there's a real sense of accomplishment, you know? So but, I, I, I could say the same. I, I was struggling for money at, at one point and my, my clutch went out and I ended up going to the library, finding this book on how to change a clutch. And it, no way. It took me like, you know, I had two friends to help me, but I, I spent, we spent 20 hours changing yeah. the clutch and, and we followed each step, but you know, we, 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 the the same clutch is still in the car that I that I still drive and everything has Working there's fine. never been a problem. Yeah. And, <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody 
where they can follow you and um your uh, your website and everything and how they can get in touch and yeah totally so i'm just gonna spell out my last name because everyone gets it wrong and no problem even if they hear it that everyone like they're not gonna, yep, switches yep. the the letters around but it's it's dearland d-y-r-l-a-n-d productions p-r-o-d-u-c-t-i-o-n-s at gmail.com and dearlandproductions.com is my website but uh nice yeah i got a got a little instagram going on that's at dearland productions and then at dp drones is i have like a separate drone specific instagram that i've been posting a lot of photos and videos to and then you know the simplest thing nowadays is uh everyone can find me on facebook michael dearland I post most of my most relevant content on there, and then it usually goes to my website and Instagram. But um, cool. yeah, Michael Deerland at Facebook, or yeah, at Facebook, and then I also have a little Deerland Productions page on on Facebook as well. But cool. Well, now, now is it time for me to interview you? <laughs> yeah, sure. If you want, <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to learn the balance of being a host, but also sharing the journey of this project with the audience as well. Yeah, you know, from from when I you know, knew you in high school till now, it's it's cool to see you pick a podcast up and you know the direction that I take. I hope you're taking this direction because it inspires you and you know. Oh, for sure. Every well. everybody who's been on this sh- or who I've had on the guest who I've asked to be a guest and hasn't been recorded yet, it's all motivators. I mean, it, the the people who are doing something and creating content. That's what's been sticking with my mind is like there's so much to consume out there. Uh-huh. But if you're having a hard time resonating with what's out there, then you better either look harder or create something yourself, you know. And, totally. And part of the reason, you know, I when we were in high school and stuff, I just started getting into computer courses. We had that um, computer class where you could do like Rhino and yeah. stuff. Totally. And I, that was super fun. I wish I would have found that a little earlier in high school, but it's fine. Uh-huh. And I didn't go into that in college. I tried to just, you know, I said this before, you do, I was doing what my peers were doing, and so I needed to, I took a break and then reevaluated what my strengths were and went back to computers and got into digital media. And so that's what's been the most, like, attractive thing to me as far as like when it comes time for like a personal project is like I want I enjoy producing the audio I enjoy producing the graphics or learning how to create the videos um Uh and putting everything together and and like you're saying the pre-production stuff this is the project that I really slowed down thought a lot about how it was gonna work and you know of course what I had in the beginning wasn't what it is now, you know, things uh-huh. changed and, you know, you got feedback or ideas kind of morphed and whatnot. So this is something that I'm trying to use. I have a freelance business for graphic design on the side. Okay. And so from all the different stuff I learned in that, this is the project that I'm trying to take my experience from that, but also learn something new, which is the me recording my voice and putting it out there and that's the content you know what i mean like it's got some supplemental stuff with some visuals and things but really the challenge is can i engage 
um, creatives and entrepreneurs in, in, in an interview that the audience is going to find entertaining or informative. Totally. And that's the challenge. And doing that better each time, I guess. That's awesome because I think, you know, there's, there's people that are really good writers and they're, you know, they publish books and there's people that, right. you know, are, let's say, really good photographers and they do that. But, you know, there's also people that, you know, TV hosts and, you know, podcast hosts and, and mm-hmm. that's like audio is, is another form of, of like putting your voice and putting content out there. And yeah, you know, connecting. I'm, a, I'm a terrible writer, so I don't, you know, publish books or write things like that. But, you know, it's, right. it's really cool how there's so many different ways of kind of putting yourself out there. You know, if you don't yeah. have a voice, your voice can be in many different forms in many different ways. Yeah. And this came up um, in Jonathan's, episode for sure is that there's just never before has it been this easy totally is what he was saying it's never been this easy to put yourself out there and create a message uh-huh. um, which is pretty awesome yeah it's really awesome and and to do it for the right reasons and to do it and if you're doing it for yourself which in this case it's kind of you know this is kind of my for me this is a challenge for me in a project i'm indulging something by doing this and but hopefully somebody else gets something out of it and it and it can steer someone or motivate someone to do something for themselves um productive and create content in their own and i I love listening to podcasts like going from bellingham to seattle i know you know like an hour and a half and i love those hour podcasts where you know i i listen i can listen the whole time i feel inspired by the end of it and and just like, you know, there might just be that one little golden nugget of information that for sure that you take away from. And hopefully, like I said from before, like taking away and like having a call to action and, and being able to, to do something and implement something is, is huge. And I, I hope everyone yeah, is able to that's a good point. take something away. Oh, I, yeah, I hope so too. You had great insight on what it's like with, with your right. And it's a new, it's a fairly new industry and we're going to see how it, how it develops over time because it's brand spanking new. But I, I loved the insight to aerial aerial stuff and the drone photography and videography. It's amazing. So everybody got to check them out. Yeah. Give them a follow. DP Drones. <laughs> DP Drones. It's awesome. It's great stuff. So um, again, thanks so much, dude. I'm uh hopefully get two more episodes recorded next week, um, possibly just one, but... So far, I'm ahead of schedule, and I'll be able to give everybody my promised content of one episode every other week. It looks like Tuesday is going to be the day. Nice. So, Yeah. So, Mike, thank you again. Thank everybody else who's been helping with, with uh, producing the show and getting everything together, providing feedback um, and the support. So, everybody take care. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah, take care, everyone.